Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So last weekend, when Mariupol, Ukraine member of parliament, Dmitry Gurin, was a guest, and he's with us quite frequently on the program, Mr. Gurin is very generous with his time, I asked him about the prime minister's visit to uh, Ukraine that day, and Mr. Gurin acknowledged that Mr. Trudeau had been there. You can listen to it, the interviews at RoyGreenShow.com. He acknowledged Mr. Trudeau had been there, but he didn't really pay that much attention. He just carried on. But what was really important to Mr. Gurin is the Ukrainian-Canadian diaspora, the Ukrainian-Canadian community, and the support that the people of Ukraine are receiving from the Ukrainian-Canadian diaspora. So I was thinking about that and how Canadians of Ukraine descent are living with, dealing with, addressing the Russian invasion. Um, also, I was, I've been wondering about this. Is there word from Canadians who made their way to Ukraine to fight alongside the Ukraine military? And I said this to you earlier, and you can find it on Dr. Anders Aslund Twitter feed, uh, at Anders Aslund, the former economic advisor to both Russia and Ukraine, years apart in uh, the 1990s, and Dr. Aslund despises Vladimir Putin. But um, I, I was quoting a, one of his tweets, and the chief of intelligence for the Ukraine military, he's 36 years old, Major General, said that his assessment is, and his intelligence department's assessment is, that by the time we get to August, the Ukraine military will have really turned around the war and really will be handing it to the Russians, really, really hurting them badly, even more than doing now. And he expects that by the end of the year that there'll be very little fighting left because the Russians will have lost. And he said, well, the Russians are just hordes of people with guns. They're not militarily particularly adept. Uh, we've talked several times on this program with Mr. Boris Rizhnevsky. He's a former Toronto area liberal member of parliament who sat beside Mr. Trudeau as Ukraine's President Zelensky addressed Canada's parliament about what, six weeks ago. And Mr. Vrzhnevsky told us in our first conversation that he was um, contacted by Canadians who were intent on joining the fight against Russia with the Ukraine military. Mr. Vrzhnevsky is back with us. Boris, how are you? Well, as most uh, Ukrainian Canadians, uh, we uh, we just take it day by day and do everything that we can. Must be really so painful for everyone of Ukraine descent in Canada, particularly those of you who have family connections still, maybe family living in Ukraine and trying to stay in touch and trying to somehow um, maintain 
a connection and maybe get people into this country. Can you talk to us about that? Well, it is quite personal for many of us. Um, and it's not just personal uh, for myself. There are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of Ukrainian Canadians that have family. And you're quite right. Uh, we try to stay in touch. I have family members uh, that are out fighting on the front. Uh, so we cannot stay in touch. And then on my wife's side, we have family members that are currently under occupation that we haven't heard from uh, for weeks. So it's quite personal. Uh, we, uh, You do have those moments of anxiety, uh, but we try to keep, as, as the British say, a stiff upper lip and keep working uh, towards the ultimate goal, and that is victory in Ukraine. Um, you are in the food industry, and I want to talk to you about that in, in a minute from the perspective of the difficulties and the threat that exists to food security globally. We've spoken with uh, our good friend, Professor Sylvain Charlebois uh, at Food Presser on, uh, on Twitter from Dalhousie University about that. But before we get into that, let me come back to what you just heard General Hillier say to me two weeks ago. General Milner said, today, Canada can and should be doing more for Ukraine militarily. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, uh, General Hillier is absolutely correct, as are the other gentlemen. And uh, it was uh, quite diplomatic the way uh, the Ukrainian MP, Dmitry uh, Gurin, the way he put it. He, he was... Uh, he wasn't unkind in his commentary when it came to the Canadian government. And, of course, uh, he was very warm in his remarks when it came to Ukrainian Canadians. Uh, look, there are tens of thousands of Ukrainian Canadians making a difference, each in their uh, particular way, whether it's uh, sending funds, whether it's uh, sending family members who are on the front uh, helmets, uh, flak jackets. Uh, through various organizations. Just this past week, the Ukrainian World Congress, through funding mostly that came from uh, Ukrainian Canadians, uh, supplied $5 million of helmets and flak jackets uh, to uh, Kiev, which went to units that were heading out to the front in the Donbass region and in Kharkiv. Um, and it's, uh, it is a contrast um, to how the Canadian government has reacted. Uh, I'm glad that our Prime Minister uh, and ministers uh, uh, finally visited uh, uh, KU. Uh, but uh, let's be clear, it was a month after uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson showed uh, true grit and uh, showed up in KU. And there had been a virtual parade of European leaders uh, once uh, uh, Prime Minister Johnson uh, had made that trip. Uh, and uh, it's, it just seems that we're always late. Um, and uh, we need to turn that around. Having said that, uh, Ukrainian Canadians have, uh, in many cases, uh, gone ahead and done the things that we hoped that uh, our government would do. And let's, let's be really clear here. Everyone expected Ukraine to collapse in a matter of days. And in the ruins of Ukraine, you would have seen the ruins of the international rules-based order. Ukraine yes. has saved the international rules-based order. 
Ukraine has sent a clear message, not just to the Kremlin, but to China when it comes to Taiwan, uh, to other uh, autocrats uh, around the world. And Ukraine is shielding, the brave soldiers in Ukraine are shielding the North Atlantic democratic space. That is the reality, and that's why uh, General Hillier is absolutely correct. We need to get those arms to Ukrainian soldiers. They've proven their abilities. Uh, I've visited uh, the training center uh, in Yavoru a number of times in the past. Uh, Ukrainian, uh, Canadian officers were so laudatory of the soldiers they were training their ability to pick up the skill sets, their determination, their stamina. Uh, it, was, it was fascinating listening to the Canadian officers and soldiers training the Ukrainians and uh, just being so, so laudatory uh, when it came to their abilities. And uh, we're seeing uh, that uh, reality in Ukraine right now uh, and the opposite on the Russian, uh, the Russian side. Um, no resolve, uh, poorly trained. Uh, it's it's more reminiscent of a, uh, a a horde that loots and pillages. Yes, it is. You know, it was that there was a microcosmic moment. It was that Russian Black Sea flagship that approached Snake Island and ordered the rush the uh, the Ukrainian border guards to surrender and they told that uh, Russian crew what they could do they died but they did not give up and that was that was a moment i think i think Boris that that really presaged what was going to happen that was that took the kind of courage I don't know how people muster, how those border guards mustered. But that must have been one of those moments as well for the people of Ukraine who said, hey, we're going to fight. We're not going to roll over. We're going to fight. You're absolutely correct. And anyone that was in contact and speaking with family and friends knew the deep resolve that Ukrainians had that they would fight till the end. And uh, you, you're quite correct also uh, when, when you said this presaged uh, uh, the resolve, but there's also uh, something else that's quite ominous that I'm sure uh, that uh, the Kremlin has taken note of. Uh, most of your readers may be aware of this, that that very same uh, flagship, the Moskva, with that symbolically important name, the Moskva, was sunk yes. by the Ukrainian army. And that is an incredible omen of where this war is heading for Mr. Putin. Yeah, rightly so. Rightly so. And let's talk about something that I know is extremely important to you. As we said, you're in the food industry. You own a bakery in Toronto. What's the name of the bakery? Future Bakery. Okay. Future Bakery? F-U-T-U-R-E? Correct. Okay, right. Future Bakery. No, uh, I know where future I'm Future in the new land. My grandparents chose that name. Great. Well, I know where I'm going to be buying my bread now. So, Boris, you're aware of, keenly, since you're in the industry, and you're a former politician, so you have your fingers on the pulse, the global food supply chain issues, the challenges that are going to be faced because of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. I know you want to talk about that. 
Absolutely. I've been raising this issue since mid-January, uh, and you're quite correct. Being in the food industry uh, and of Ukrainian uh, heritage, we, we understand the importance that Ukraine has played through the centuries. Ukraine used to be the breadbasket of, of Europe. Today, Ukraine is a major source country, one of the key, probably one of the five most important countries, food producers for the world. And there, uh, there are global consequences. Uh, I was raising this issue uh, back in January, February, before the start of the war. Uh, I gave some specific examples, the fact that, for instance, in Lebanon, 35% of the population's caloric intake comes from Ukrainian agriculture. Uh, over 40% of Libya's wheat, 20% of Yemen's wheat, 20% of Bangladeshi wheat, uh, Egypt, it, it continues. So some of the most uh, uh, politically unstable regions of the Middle East, Africa, uh, Asia, and also uh, food uh, 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 countries that are food challenged. And uh, if Ukraine's, at, and at that time I was saying, if Ukraine's ports cannot export those agricultural commodities, wheat, sunflower oil, etc., there will be a very significant global food shortage. We're seeing the beginnings of that this last week in the United States. Yep. Baby That's formula right. has disappeared off the shelves because right. there is a lack of cereals in the global market. By the fall, we will see hunger and starvation in some of these uh, regions of the world. And what is critically important, we are constantly talking about NATO, and absolutely NATO is of, of great importance, uh, and that North Atlantic um, democratic space. But we will see starvation unless the port of Odessa is declared an internationally protected port because of its key role in the international global food supply chain. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.